Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. You are listening to The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon. I've got a fantastic panel with me as we discuss uh, the Equality Act and the Equality Court uh, and what the court does and, and, and effectively why this is such an important institution in our democratic dispensation for the protection and advancement of human rights, basic human rights, important human rights enshrined in the Bill of Rights. I'm in conversation with Mbegazeli Kineo as well as Kolegile. Kineo, I want to bring you into the conversation here. Um, the Nelson Mandela Foundation, uh, which you are the head of leadership development at, uh, has tested the has made use of the court in a very significant way, and that was in the case to seek uh, the declaration of the usage of the apartheid flag and apartheid paraphernalia in public uh, as a human rights violation and effectively um, as a, as a, as a criminal act. Um, talk to us about what that case was and why the Equality Court was an important place to go for the achievement of that case. Why didn't you guys just go directly to the High Court, for instance? Why specifically through the Equality Court? Um, thank you, Oliver, for your question. Good morning. Good morning to, you, to your listeners as well. And happy Human Rights Day. Um, I think the case, the apartheid case, was really interesting and important one for us for many different reasons. Um, I think the, some of the facts that kind of arose from the case were around 2015, I believe, around the Black Monday protests when um, farm, farmers were protesting the, the killings of, of farm workers and, and farmers. Um, they were spotted in many different areas, the old apartheid flag, or what we refer to as the apartheid flag. Um, and it was dehumanizing. It was, you yeah. know, it was intimidating. It was a kind of terrorism. Um, but at the time, it was unclear whether or not this could constitute hate speech because it wasn't necessarily written out or spoken in words. Um, and we approached the court initially, um, ex parte, which is kind of on our own, um, for a declaratory order. So we were asking the Equality Court to to declare that displaying the flag, um, even though it doesn't amount to words or speech, um, still constitutes hate speech because it meets the criteria. And the Equality Court was an important place for us to, to establish the case in or through um, because of its mandate of securing um, um, people's rights, especially as, as regards to being free from discrimination, which is also a human right, a basic human right. Um, and that's and that was the, the origins of the case. Yeah. Um, the court, of course, is accessible by a myriad of institutions, a myriad of, uh, I guess, applicants. You could come in applica- applic- an applicant in person. You can come as an applicant in an, as an organization. And very specifically, you can come as a community even to the uh, Equality mm-hmm. Court. Uh, and that's an important uh, that's an important point to make, right? Colleagues, um, you work with organizations sure. across the country that for the advancement of human rights in various in various formats and for advocacy work in that space. How important is access to the court uh, in in the advancement of that advocacy work in the protection and advancement for human rights? And are people taking up that opportunity? Good morning to the listeners and the beautiful panel that's joining me today. So the the question that you're posing is a very critical question from a standpoint where I come in being part of an NPO that does a lot of advocacy work around social justice and access to democracy. So 
the importance of the court is 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 one that we 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 cannot just uh, ignore and and, and deny mm. because it 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 protects and enhances the, the the rights to equality and enshrines what essentially we call the bill of rights of the country sure so we we are seeing people uh, accessing the courts we are seeing people going to the courts but um you know recently as of lately in 2018 is a study that was done by Melanie Judge and and Erica Emdon uh we found that just only about 50 out of uh 382 designated equality courts were operational between the year 2009 and the year 2017 sorry pa- pause there quickly put that in context how many quality courts do we have 382 382 designated wow. equality courts. That's basically a court in nearly every district, right? Sure. And then out of that, only 50 were operational. And this was a study that was actually uh, done in 2018. So there is a gap. So one in six gap. of our equality courts yeah. are functioning. Five basically, of them are not operational. Yeah, yeah basically. Why? So a lot of advocacy needs to happen. A lot of education needs to happen. Um, that is now where we come in as NPOs to literally just come in and say constitutionalism and the sure. agenda for constitutionalism is a real thing. People need to take up the conversation around constitutionalism and access to human rights at a higher scale and at a higher mm. level. Mm. But also it's tapping into the resources such as Abu Mbegezeli, the people who have the legal know-how and we, we create synergies in the work that we do and seeing how we impact people on the ground yeah. and at community level because this figure are alarming if you really, really ask Does me. that mentally judge uh, report tell us why only one in six of our equality courts are operational? What, what's wrong with the other five? Is, is, it, is there no funding? Is there no demand? What's the story? So it's quite uh, quite a few things, really, really. Uh, but what we've picked up uh, from reading the studies that there's uh, quite a lot of personnel, uh, there's quite a lot of promotional information and advocacy, and there's quite a lot of uh, a lack in, infra- in, in insufficient court infrastructure. Mm. And there's just uh, basically, over and above everything else, a lack of awareness of the Equality Act and the, the equality courts among the general public and the officials. Mm. So which is quite a few things that we really need to tap into. And then we also realize from pinning down into the study that there, there is a need for further training of, of South African police services in, in, mm. in the spectrum mm. around uh, access to equality and, uh, and the democracy mm. uh, component of things, really, so to mm. speak. Mm. Mm. You know, I was recently at the Nelson Mandela Foundation and I was walking up the staircase and there was this beautiful portrait of images of the group of uh, advocates and lawyers that worked on the flag case, right? And I, I looked at it for a minute. I was like, these are the most brilliant minds in the country as far as law is concerned. And they did this work for free. <laughs> mm. It seems like to go to the equality court, you need a good Samaritan lawyer to give up their time for free because it's not a profitable court. It's not a commercial crimes court where the time you're racking up uh, is, 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 is for an expensive uh, or for a, a really rich litigant that will pay a lot of money. Uh, do you find that there's willingness in the legal fraternity uh, to really take and test cases um, and litigate within the equality court? Mm-hmm. I think this is an important question. Thank you. Um, I want to say thank you to our lawyers, um, Advocate uh, Tembek and Gwai, Toby, Ben Winks, and Rupert yeah. Kindy and their team as well, in particular. They're really um, some of the best minds, as you're describing, um, who helped us take this case forward, in particular because of the scale of the case and, and its impact on, on people in South Africa. 
generally speaking, the equality court, you don't need a lawyer, which is which is part of the, the brilliance of the equality court. People can represent themselves. Right. And it's quite an informal process, which makes it a lot more accessible, which makes it so sad to hear some of the statistics that you were reading up um, earlier. Um, but so so generally not. You know, so it should be free in, 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 that, in, in, that, in that sense. Um, but regarding your question, I think yes and no. I think um, the legal fraternity well, industry and sector, um, like many other industries and sectors in South Africa right now, um, are competing for survival and, and for, for, for profit margins and for, you know what I mean, sustainability reasons as well. Um, and in terms of the bigger law firms, it's very, it's not as common to see um, so much goodwill, you know, with them right. of the scale of a Tembeg and Ngai Tobi. They do have um, divisions that do support, um, what's the word now? Pro bono There's a word work. for this, but uh, pro bono work. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it would be really great to see a lot more, to, to see a lot more people mm. using a lot of the skills that they have and um, advancement, not only of, you know, um, capital and power in that sense, but really in, in create and in, in making an environment that that really speaks to the constitution, that makes the constitution a lived reality for everybody in South Africa. Mbegazeli, Kolekile just a short moment ago said that there's need for more training to be able to make the access to the court um, a lot more uh, proliferated for South Africans. Begs the question, do we do we have a shortage of human rights lawyers? Uh, yes, the short answer is yes. We, we <laughs> always have a shortage of human rights lawyers and, and I, I wish that some of them, non-human rights lawyers um, listening today will be able to join the struggle for human rights in South it's Africa. It's not sexy to be a human but, rights lawyer, is it? Well, look, a lot, a lot of human rights lawyers appear on TV, so that's at least that's something. The pay, is, the the pay is not good, and the money is not. There's no money to be made, but yeah. at least you feel better when you go back when right. you go to sleep. So that's that's the main compensation. Um, but on a more serious note, the the problems with accessing the equality court um, are some of what Kolegile spoke about earlier in terms of the training of the personnel. And the, one of the reasons why that is so is because the equality court is unique uh, to, uh, from any other courts in the system. It, it, it's not one physical building that, that is in one town or city. Actually, all courts in South Africa are designated as equality courts. So, which is why you find the number of 382 um, uh, being the, the equality, court, equality courts that are designated. The problem, though, is that for you to access the equality court, you need a clerk or a registrar who's trained uh, in the processes of the equality court who can receive your case and be able to process it. And, and that's where the gap is. That's why you find, That's why the study that Kolegi referred to found that only 50 uh, out of the 300 and something are being utilized. It's because the training and the, the personnel are not enough to mm. cover all of those. And, and this is something that, in fact, the Department of Justice is aware the South African Judicial Education Institute is also paying attention to. We just disappointed that there there isn't much progress in terms of mm. making sure that there are staff available to deal with these cases. Mm-mm. Such an important point there. Just uh, is is the, does the Equality Court fall within the ambit of the Superior Courts of South Africa? So the Equality Court, uh, like I said, is unique in the sense that. It, a, a magistrate's court, a district magistrate's court in, in any 
town in South Africa can sit as an equality court. The, any of the high courts in any of the cities can also sit as the equality court. So, for example, in, in the Cape High Court at some point sat as the equality court to deal with the case about policing resources in Cape Town. Ah. So uh, an NGO called uh, Social Justice Coalition, they filed a case in the high court to say that the the police are discriminating against black communities in terms of the allocation of policing resources. They found crazy numbers like in Seapoint, for example, there is one police officer for about a couple of hundred people. But in Kailicha, there's about one police officer for a thousand or so people. So there's that inequality in terms of policing resources. And they said that it was discriminatory um, and, and the, the equality court um, ordered that the police address that inequality. So it was the high court sitting as the equality court. The magistrate's court can also sit as equality courts anywhere right. across the country. Right. Moving on uh, from, from, I guess, uh, the procedural uh, you know, workings of the court and why we have so few lawyers... Uh, and and staff capacitating these courts. I want us to speak more about the conceptual issues that the court really grapples with. And that policing matter is an important one that you raised there, Megazeli. I I have two questions stemming out of this. Colleague, earlier on, you, you used the phrase social justice. What does that mean? Social justice in context, uh, or just plainly put, is the layman on the streets being able to access justice on a day-to-day basis and understanding that uh, the component of justice, they've got some sort of equity and mm. ownership to, to to a certain degree. It's basically that. Vulnerable groups, people of uh, uh, different descents, sexualities, genders, you know, uh, uh, we could go on and on and on and mm. on and on. But social justice speaks to, to, to that component. But raising it up to the context of now constitutionalism and the constitutional agenda, it's basically saying under the Bill of Rights, everyone is equal before the law. Mm. No one is better off or better off than the other before the law. Mm. And it's basically that I am because you are. And it's basically that's that, that principle, so to mm. speak. Because if we now jargonize it and put it in the sense that now we now make it very heavy for people to understand it becomes a bit too too much for them to contextualize mm. but if i say to someone you know what you are your rights right now are being uh, infringed upon because you don't have access to a b c and d that for me speaks to social justice and that for me speaks to the equality e- e- equality component right it, it, it's basically just that mm. Begazeli, i can think of various other statutes in our law that speak out against discrimination of of sorts, that speak out against um, at least very specifically arbitrary discrimination of sorts, that speak out against the violation of human rights. Uh, One particular example could be the Labor Relations Act, right? Where, for instance, somebody who, if I work in a factory and (laughs) the the, the boss or the manager there uh, separates the two toilets and says, well... The white people use their toilets and the black people use their toilets. Don't ever use a toilet that's not designated for you. That obviously is clearly discrimination, right? Mm-hmm. Where do I do I prosecute that under the 
the Equality Act? Do I prosecute that under the Labor Relations Act uh, because it speaks to a hostile work environment? Um, and how then do I know based on which statute, which court I would go to? So that is there is a, a little bit of a complex uh, problem, Oliver, and and it also is one of the challenges when it comes to um, implementing the Equality Act, at least via the Equality Court, is because um, the equality and well inequality and particularly discrimination um, manifests itself in so many different ways, mm. and it, it in in the practical reality of, of most people, um, they would dis- uh, experience discrimination in, in, in ways that are intersecting. Uh, that's why they speak yeah. about intersectionality, where you would be discriminated because you are um, of a particular gender, of a particular race, or even of a particular language. Um, but that discrimination, because of the nature in which it manifests itself may not necessarily be easy to spot. You mentioned um, here an example of a workplace kind of discrimination. And, and here I must also emphasize that the uh, equal, inequality... Oliver Dixon on SAFM. 15 minutes before the top of the hour, you're listening to The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon. Let's go to the lines. Bulelani in Nelspruit. Good morning. Morning, 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 Oliver. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Go ahead. I'm all right. Uh, Oliver, that, uh, that, that, this thing, the topic that you're talking about today, uh, I really got hurt last year. It was about July. Mm. July, somewhere around. Um, uh, this guy is an Indian guy. I was working for him. And I left him because of our personal reasons, right? Uh, then after I left him, then I called you up at Mill Street, as I'm in Mill Street now, uh, working for another company. Then after all, uh, one day, uh, out of the blues, then he came up on my WhatsApp and um, we, had, uh, we had a conversation on the WhatsApp. Uh, still, he was uh, fighting with me. At the end of the day, he ended up swearing at me and uh, calling me a baboon. Then I... Took um, uh, uh, this thing, a decision to go to 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 to, to Nelspruit Police Station to open the case. Then, when I got into Nelspruit uh, Police Station, uh, they made me a joke because I'm coming to open the case about somebody that you just called me a baboon. Mm. Another guy from the police station then he got hooked in this and then he called me outside and he said to me, "I think the best way for you to get satisfactory is to go to uh, court." Then he gave me. Um, a direction to go to the court. Then I went to the court. From the court, they took me to the small plain court. From the small plain court, they tried to uh, find the guy from or the person from uh, the equality court, but they couldn't find that person. So it means that my case couldn't go far. But the guys from that side of the street, they, I mean, uh, in case at end, they really wanted to help me because they were waiting. They said, well, just open the case where you are, and then you give us the... Um, uh, case number, then we can be able to, to, to pursue your case. Uh, what I mean is, sometimes we run to this law and we want this law to help us. At the end of the day, you find that law can't uh, this thing to help you. Because me, mm. I started to help me, it was only the law that was uh, supposed to uh, help me, and it didn't help me. In my, the time that I wanted it to be there, it wasn't there. Mm. And mm. the racism thing, 
it's still carrying on because this thing, uh, to me, it was Russian because I, there was nothing from this guy to this thing. This conversation, I have it on my phone even today. I kept it because I thought that someday, somewhere, somehow, something will come up because I want to punish that guy because it's not only me that is treating this way according to what I saw, what he said to me. Maybe some other people too they is, is 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 doing the same thing that he's doing to me. So if I can get help even today, I still have the proof of whatever he said to me. Mm. Please can help. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Bulelani. I really, really do appreciate it. Um, and uh, I hope one of our panelists will uh, reach out to you and 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 help you take that further. But I really do appreciate it. You know, I wanna I wanna have you reflect on that just for a minute. Racism can be covert and overt. Um, the lines sometimes are blurry um, and the equality court, given how complex our history is, right? It's understandable. And the equality court will have a tough time from a semantics point of view, combing through some of those complexities and rely on expert advice uh, to be able to make sense of these uh, uh, complexities. Given that, lis- listening to Bulelani right now, a black employee called a baboon by his Indian employer, does that fall within the scope of what would be considered hate speech uh, in South Africa? Kinel? Oh, Oh, there we go. uh, I think there's a bit of a delay, but um, absolutely, I I would argue it absolutely um, um, falls within the ambit of what we call discrimination. It reminds me of um, uh, another case where I think it was a picture of a baboon that was circulated on the the, uh, work email thread referring to a particular person. But moreover, I think there are so many um, aspects about what what, what the caller was, was, was describing. On the one hand, it speaks to our woundedness as a country. The very fact that we have an institution like Papuda, the the Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act, um, which created the, um, the Equality Courts, it exists specifically because of our past barely for no other reason other than the 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 scale um, of the dehumanization that, that, that we experienced. But moreover, um, also kind of embedded within within what the caller was describing is this idea of, well, when you're in a burning forest and you have, you know, this perfectly made out bucket of water that was designed to put out fires, but you only have one bucket, you know what I mean? And we can argue about the the, the bucket's infrastructure and how well it was built and what's supposed to happen, but it, it's only one bucket, you know, um, trying to put out <laughs> a, an impossibly difficult situation in mm. many instances, you know what I mean? And it's, an, it's a thing that we struggle with as, a, as an organization as well, thinking about our capacity, our needs for sustainability, um, and the kinds of impact that we want to have, the long-lasting structural kinds of impact that we want to have. Um, and maybe the last point that I want to mention was that, um, so in this particular case, for instance, being called a baboon directly to your mess, you know what I mean? It's quite mm. clear. Mm. But there are so many other kinds of racism, right? So not only kind of covert and kind of coded languages, these WhatsApp groups in, in neighborhoods calling people suspicious BMs, you know what I mean? Mm. That kind of thing. But it could also be structural, right? It could also mean, for instance, um, what young people are fighting for universities mm. right now, mm. saying that because of the past that we come from, our families cannot afford to send people to university. Can you please bring the rates down? Can you please 
bring the mm. fees down. We don't have money. You know, that's a structural issue. It's an intergenerational issue um, that is kind of embedded into the fabric of our society. And how can you, you, you can't necessarily bring that to the equality court because it doesn't necessarily in words, it's not a gesture, yeah. it's not, you know what I mean? And so in as much as we have the brilliance, really, of the equality court in theory, um, the context that we live in, the 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 things that we're trying to work through and heal from are are really really immense. Colleague, mm-hmm. um, do we have the language to be able to sometimes describe the dehumanization we experience? Some of it is quite obvious in your face type of dehumanization. Some of it are not so obvious. Microaggressions, for instance, are not obvious, and you live with it daily. It's sort of like death by a thousand uh, paper cuts type of thing, right? Um, do we have the language to be able to express that? And I ask that because it seems to me that a number of South Africans know exactly what dehumanization feels like. It may not be obvious and clear to them that what they're experiencing is a human rights violation because we may not all know what is in the Bill of Rights. I don't think we read the Bill of Rights every morning at assembly in school before we sing the national anthem type of thing. It's not indoctrinated and ingrained into our consciousness in everyday conversations like that. Yeah, so from a... An just a second there, your, your your microphone. Let's see if we can get that microphone back on. There we go. Okay. So, um, you, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm very sympathetic and uh, I, the previous caller, Obulelani. In fact, things like this, and I'm just going to get to the basis of your question now, things like this actually irk me up mm. um, because, you know, the data is there. Um, and data provided by the DOJ's National Operational Center indicates that race actually remains the most common grounds for discrimination complaints uh, where the equality courts are concerned. And my colleague here uh, from the Nelson Mandela Foundation says something so beautifully that in, in theory, these courts look and feel good, right? But the access to them and the capacity that comes with them and also the human resource component is a bit of a challenge. So language-wise, you know, we are a wounded uh, society. So a, a few things uh, still need to be set out on, on mm. the table, really. And, you know, we, we kind of discuss, okay, does this really, really, really constitute racism if I do it like this? You know, because certain actions could be discriminatory to me and certain things could not be discriminatory by virtue of you doing them to me or towards me, you know, that sort of mm, thing. Mm. So language could be verbal and nonverbal, mm, as you're saying. Mm. So it's quite a, a few things. And you touched on something critical, the, the bathroom issue. My core issue right now as a queer man living in South Africa is the fact that I don't have access to gender neutral bathroom spaces. Mm, mm. So I am experiencing a form of discrimination. Mm. So do I go now and take that to the equality court? But at the same time, you've got a lot of core issues that are emerging out of that conversation. Mm, So mm. we need to unpack conversations a bit further and we need to be uh, comfortable enough to have those uncomfortable conversations where we call each other out and we say, yeah, but you guys wounded us and we're trying to heal from mm. this. And uh, it's not just going to happen overnight. Being mm. called a baboon and being discriminated in, in that instance and not being able to access certain spaces because of your queerness or your right. religion. And, 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 and. so it, 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 it's a lot of things, really. And it's Human Rights Day right now and you're still discussing this. We're not discussing significant improvements in these things, but we're also now mm. reflecting on the statistics basis that the data is proving listen 
it, it, it th- there's a decline mm, you know mm. there's a decline on a year on a year basis how do we then hold the doj into account how then do we hold our stakeholders how then do we d- bring civil society and sure. private sector into this conversation because we somewhat uh have these conversations at this level and we forget that private sector actually also has a role to play mm. in uh rehabilitating society and uh demystifying uh, the language component because the They've got the means, they've got the the money. You know, Mbeg has really touched on something very important. Human rights is not sexy, but we do it in any case yeah. because it does not pay the bills, but yeah. we do it because we're passionate and we love it. But now we need private sector to come and partner with us in, in helping us unpack this conversation a bit more and contextualize it for our people. Mm. I am successful as Ukulegi Lemnese from FHR if a person sitting understands that by virtue of you doing something physically or verbatim or or articulating something verbally, you are discriminating Mm. me and there are consequences to that. Then my job is done as the Foundation for Human Rights because that is what I stand for on a a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. Let's go to the lines. Veronica in Springbok. Veronica, good morning. Good morning. Who are you? I'm well, I'm well. This is Oliver. Go ahead. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, Oliver, you know, uh, my son died in a accident in Springbok, and that was about 10 years ago. And uh, the doctor, the accident happened that just, uh, he just had an arm injury. And afterwards, my decision, that uh, the the doctor told me we all phoned, you know, and the doctor said, oh, it wasn't that bad. It's just his arm, you know, that was broken. And and afterwards, my son, in the early morning of the 1st of April, they called me, they said he didn't make it. And, you know, I was so shocked. Because how can a person just die because of an arm injury on a motorbike? Now, this place we live in, in Springbok, with the colored rocks going, these are coming places, you know. There's lorries on the road, there's sand, there's stone. It's not even a, a, a proper road we, we use. And so, yeah, he fell, but he wasn't dead. He didn't die at the scene. All of his uh, friends spoke to me, and uh, he was okay, he was fine. And I asked this doctor, uh, is your habit going to make it? He said, yes, don't worry. Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, we'll be sending him to Kimberley. But how did it happen? I think there was negligence around this case of Herbert. Mm. Because, because the autopsy, the doctor told uh, my daughter, Bertha Thomas, that Herbert was drunk. And you know, he didn't drink. He didn't drink. He wasn't a drinker. He was, he was uh, going to get married in September. Now, in a couple of days, Herbert is 10 years ago. And I've been going to... All these places, the ambulance report, the hospital report, 
the doctor's report, you know, and nobody can help me. So, yeah, I got, I think I got someone now. I don't know if he's going to help me. But Herbert left behind a daughter of nine years old that mm, time, mm. Andrea, what a, what Andrea a... Thomas, and a son I know, which is now nine. Say hello to her, to neighbor. Come, I know. Say yeah. hello to neighbor. Come. Say hello. Oh, he's a bit shy now. <laughs> Veronica, I'm just going to, because of time, I'm just going to pause you there. And it's an incredibly sad story you're telling us here. And, and you know, I'm, 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 oh my goodness, my heart pours out to that. Begazili, just as a final word here, perhaps you can respond to that. Because this, on the surface of it, strikes me as a medical negligence matter, right? But should yeah. it be the case that it was negligence based on racist attitudes perhaps or sexist attitudes whatever the case may be is that something again it, it falls in that intersectional complexity you spoke about earlier but is is the equality court a a avenue that veronica can and should consider perhaps you can answer that for us in 30 seconds uh, well it's a it's a little bit difficult to say because i don't have the full facts of the situation but it sounds like veronica already has someone who's assisting them so i think that at least is something that that can be addressed they can get to the bottom of of the situation but mm-hmm. it's really really sad and i do apologize to to her and i also apologize to bulelani who called earlier mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think because he's tried so hard to find assistance, I think what he can do for now is to approach the provincial office of the Human Rights Commission, which is on, on Paul's Kruger Street in Nelspreet. And he may also call them on the number 013-752-5890. And, and they may be able to take up the case mm-hmm. of that racial discrimination issue on his behalf, because it sounds like he's been really running from pillar to post and and that is really not what um this equality legislation is supposed yeah. to be about particularly on this day um which is so significant in our history and in our current moment human Absolutely. rights day is not a day that should be taken for granted can i just ask you very quickly to repeat that number so the number is 13 and he can also go physically to the provincial office of the Human Rights Commission. Absolutely. It's on 20 Paul Kruger Street in Nelspreet in Bombella. Thank you so much for that. Really, really do appreciate it. Uh, Mbegazeli, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you coming on uh, this platform. Kineo, as well as Kolekile, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely appreciate it.